The Writer Files, a member of the Podglomerate Network. I want to mention a great resource for writers, and this month's sponsor, Truth is the Arrow, Mercy is the Bow, a DIY manual for the construction of stories. I'll expound later in the show, but the short version is this long-awaited book about the craft of creative writing from New York Times bestselling author Steve Almond sets out to debunk the well-meaning but misguided myths that hold us back from writing our deepest and most honest work. Pick up a copy today of Truth is the Arrow, Mercy is the Bow, wherever you buy books, more soon. Greetings, scribes. I have got some exciting news to share. The Writer Files now has an exclusive Patreon community where subscribers will get exclusive access to uncut ad-free interviews, a writer's happy hour, bonus breakdowns, and content from productivity and publishing experts each month. In the meantime, just head over to patreon.com slash thewriterfiles. It's free to join Patreon to get a preview and you can upgrade anytime. That's patreon.com slash thewriterfiles. Help us start something special. Hey, just a quick note that this week I'm resurfacing part one of an enlightening chat I had with number one internationally best-selling author Jeffrey Deaver about his process for writing ticking time bomb suspense near the start of the pandemic. Next week, we're going to catch up with the author for the second part of that interview series with Jeff to talk about his latest novel and a lot more about the writing life. Until then. The world is divided into two types of authors, the plotters and the pantsers. Plotters who plot and outline their book, the pantsers who go by the seat of their pants. Now, writing is very subjective, and it is damn hard work. And so whatever is um, your technique, if it allows you to produce what you want to produce, God bless you. Follow that. I, however, believe that it is easier to write a book and to write a good book if you outline everything before you start writing. Oh yeah, we're back. You're still listening. You're still tuned in to the Writer Files. I appreciate you. I'm your humble host, Kelton Reed, and I'm sending positivity and calm during these days of upheaval. This week, the internationally best-selling author of over 35 novels, Jeffrey Deaver, took a few minutes to discuss his advice on how to write emotionally engaging fiction, the merits of plotters versus pantsers, and a five-step process for writing your novel. Jeffrey's a former journalist, musician, and attorney, best known for his Lincoln Rhyme series, now a hit NBC TV show, and the novel The Bone Collector, adapted for the big screen, starring Denzel Washington and Angelina Jolie. The Master of Suspense has been nominated for seven Edgar Awards and gone on to sell 50 million books worldwide and that have been translated into 35 languages. His latest thriller is a sequel to The Never Game, The Goodbye Man, that once again features Coulter Shaw, the rugged survivalist and reward seeker. One of BookPage's most anticipated thrillers of 2020, Publishers Weekly said of the book, Deaver balances suspense and plausibility in a perfect jumping-on point for readers new to one of today's top contemporary thriller writers. In this file, Jeffrey and I discussed why suspense writers are like airline pilots, wisdom from Joyce Carol Oates, and the importance of outlining, how having your novel read aloud to you can improve your prose, a simple formula for writing roller coaster fiction, and much more. Stay calm and write on. 
And don't forget, you can always support this show by heading to writerfiles.fm, where you can also sign up for email updates, get links to merch, and other resources for writers. And if you're a fan of The Writer Files, please click follow to automatically see new interviews in your podcatcher as soon as they're published and drop us a rating or a review on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you tune in to help other writers find us. And welcome back to The Writer Files. I am honored today to be joined by our esteemed guest, the uh, number one international bestselling author, Jeffrey Deaver, has uh, taken a couple minutes to wrap with us about all things writing. How are you today, sir? Oh, very good. Excellent. How are you surviving the pandemic? This is a pandemic edition show, so it will be dated by the, you know, marked by the, by the plague. Yeah. Well, let's hope, in fact, it is dated. And when people listen to reruns, they'll say, uh, oh, what was that thing? I don't remember it. But unfortunately, I don't think that's going to be the case. It's going to be with us for a while. My life is actually not much different uh, than it's been for the last 30 years. I quit. Um, I was a legal editor, uh, an attorney for some time. Then I wanted more hours to write. So I became a, uh, a legal editor, which still took up more time than I wanted. So finally, after about six books, I could financially support myself writing and I quit. But I was concerned that I would be uh, maybe lonely, maybe agitated by the solitary life, uh, you know, not being able to walk up to the water cooler and say hi to my colleagues. Mm -hmm. It took me like 10 seconds of the first day to know this was the life for me. I've never looked back. I just love it. But now it's, uh, you know, difficult. My, uh, I have a partner, but she's, um, ensconced elsewhere she had some other health issues and so she's been uh sheltering for three months about the first inkling there was going to be a problem she she uh went into uh, one of the other houses and so i've been by myself with three dogs for um, about two months now it's not a lot different but of course i miss seeing my friends i'm i'm devastated that i can't be on book tour because i love meeting my fans i love going to the uh the bookshops um uh, you know, the ind- indies, I, I, you know, support as much as I can and love going there and that's not going to happen for a while. So mm. it's, very, it's, it's just disoriented. And the news is depressing. I have to say, I'm still being productive. I'm still working on two novels and a bunch of short stories, editing an anthology. The work's getting done, but it's a disconcerting time right now. A lot of bad dreams and I almost hate checking the news. Yeah. Yeah. It's, uh, it's a very interesting time as we often, um, note, and, um, yeah, as you said, it's, uh, you know, I, I guess the life of a writer is, is always kind of been a solitary life and, and, you know, you make that choice, I guess, as a, as an author. Um, but yeah, getting out to a coffee shop or, <laughs> you know, being able to see, a co- see from a coffee shop. What's that again? Yeah. Yeah. Isn't that such a weird, a weird thing? You know, you can go into a coffee shop, you can take, take away, um, but yeah, there's something about the sound of a coffee shop and and or the sound of a of a pub or or a restaurant um, that is uh, eerily missing from our society presently. <laughs> in in public, I can't generally uh, create text uh, when I uh, you know I do an outline. We can talk about technique in a little bit if you like. But yeah. I, I may look at I may look at my outline and it'll say scene forty one. I need Coulter Shaw to discover a feather that's a clue. 
And that's all it says. But I've got to generate the, that scene. Now, I can't do that out in public. It's too distracting uh, because I'm kind of a shiny penny guy. Do you know that phenomenon? Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, for, your, for your listeners who don't know it, I'll be walking down the street and I'll look down on the street and see a shiny penny. Ah, oh, shiny penny. You know, it's right by the curb. The curb reminds me, concrete. I meant to get some repairs at Home Depot. Home Depot, <laughs> home. I've got to get some supplies for the home. Supplies. Oh, there's a, uh, you know, a, a craft store right next to that. And I forget all about the penny. So I, I get distracted a lot. And it does help my writing. And I think your listeners are going to hear <laughs> when, when I, I, I discuss things. My mind jumps around quite a bit, yeah. which is beneficial for the books. But I have to focus at some point. So it, when I'm out, I can't really craft the text, create that. I jump around too much. But I can certainly edit. And that's what I like to do. Get a cup of coffee, have a you know chicken salad sandwich or something like that, and uh, uh, have somebody else make it for a change. I'm so sick of... The 25 cans of tuna, it's down to like, I bought at the start of this, <laughs> it's down to like 17 yeah. now. I've got a gallon of mayonnaise. I'm almost out of relish. I don't know what the hell I'm going to do with, without the relish for the mayonnaise. But, mm-hmm. but actually have somebody else make you something. What, a, what an odd thought that is. Yeah, yeah. Well, here you can get takeaway and, you know, you can pick up or get delivery. But we have uh, kind of been also staying to ourselves. But yeah, I'm watching the tuna supply dwindle also um after it proliferated for a bit but um yeah so i want to dig into your process of course the latest is um the goodbye man uh featuring culture shaw the rugged survivalist who makes his living as a uh, i guess a reward seeker right oh that's right it's a, a job i will be very frank about i made up there is right. no such thing that i know about but it frankly it seemed like a good idea and it seemed to embody all the elements I like in the character that I've created and that I intended to create all along. Mm-hmm. I wanted to, your, your listeners may be familiar with Lincoln Rhyme <clears throat> from The Bone Collector. The movie, uh, they may have read the book 13 in the series, I think 13 or 14 in, that I've written. Uh, and then the NBC TV show that just concluded nine episodes recently. Yeah. But Lincoln Rhyme is a uniquely New York character. He's wheelchair bound. He's a quadriplegic and he's a forensic scientist. And I'll keep writing Lincoln. There'll be one out next year. People love him. That's that's all wonderful. But I wanted the antithesis of that. I wanted somebody who traveled around the country and was the archetype of the knight errant, um, mm-hmm. the uh, Arthurian character, Lancelot, mm. the uh, character of Shane uh, from the old movie, the Alan Ladd Jr. movie, and the, the great novel um, uh, written by Jack Schaefer. He's the gunslinger who comes to town sides with the good farmers versus the bad rancher and prevails and then rides off into the sunset to do another uh, uh, good deed. That's who I wanted my character to be. And, you know, he could be a bail enforcement agent. Now, those are the guys who uh, go after the the bond skippers. Mm-hmm. If, if someone's arrested and they post bond, a uh, $10,000 bond, and then they leave town, uh, the court keeps the bond, and then the bond uh, bail bondsman who issued that bond uh, sends a tough guy to go find the uh, bad guy. That's right. uh, you know that's that's there's uh, that's kind of tawdry work because generally they are warrant skippers, and uh, you know mostly low level drug offenses things like that uh, because the the really arch criminals are not going to skip bail either they're not going to get bail or they're not going to skip it so but there are a lot of rewards offered some of them up to millions of dollars for say terrorists and this provided me a chance to create a guy who is like the gunslinger who rides into town on his winnebago uh, <laughs> horse 
well, he doesn't have a horse, he has a motorcycle attached to the back. And uh, look for missing children, for civilians, for families who've offered rewards, and for the uh, escaped fugitives that uh, prison officials have offered, and for uh, suspects in crimes who uh, the police can't find. And, and frankly, Shaw doesn't care about the reward that much. What he cares about is that a reward represents an unsolved problem. And he's a restless man. He calls himself a restless man. And so he has to seek these challenges or he'd go crazy. Hmm. Interesting. Earlier in the show, I mentioned an invaluable resource for writers. Truth is the arrow, mercy is the bow, a DIY manual for the construction of stories based on three decades of writing, failing, and trying again. Author Steve Almond is a beloved professor at Harvard and Wesleyan and the acclaimed New York Times bestseller of 12 books of fiction and nonfiction. And in Truth is the Arrow, Mercy is the Bow, Steve employs the radical empathy he displayed as a co-host of the Dear Sugars podcast with Cheryl Strayed, where they explored the joys and trials of storytelling to explode myths that hold us back from writing our deepest and truest work. The book includes chapters on plot, character, and chronology, but travels far beyond the earnest intentions of most craft books. It also includes writing prompts to generate new work. Pulitzer Prize-winning author Richard Russo called it one of the best books on writing he's ever read, and also the funniest. Pick up a copy of Truth is the Arrow, Mercy is the Bow, a DIY manual for the construction of stories wherever you buy books, and add it to your TBR today. And just a quick aside to revisit the exclusive Writer Files Patreon community where subscribers get access to uncut ad-free interviews, a writer's happy hour, bonus breakdowns, and a lot more. I know that for serious writers, it can be more distracting than ever to cut through the noise, stay productive, and home in on what's happening in the publishing industry. Over eight years, we've provided a looking glass into the habits of professional writers and publishing industry insiders. And as your humble host, I've decided to launch a membership-based Patreon for serious scribes to cut through the noise, swap tips and tricks, and hang out with like-minded peers. Just head over to patreon.com slash the writer files for bonus writing resources, monthly episode breakdowns, writer's happy hour, a community of your peers, ad-free episodes, and more. It's free to join to get a preview and you can upgrade anytime. That's patreon.com slash the writer files. Help us start something cool and special. Keep calm and write on. So how much of yourself do you think you're, you're writing into these characters? Because as you said, you know, uh, Colter Shaw is kind of the antithesis of that iconic character from, from the Lincoln Rhyme series. You know, how much of that is you? How much of, of that is, is, you know, you say you're the shiny penny guy and yeah, what, what, how much of it is the kind of, you know, you have this very interesting background in, in journalism and, you know, you were an attorney and a folk singer and all these different You've worn all these different hats. I, I have some of myself in the books, all of, all of my books, you know, a little bit of me. I, I wrote a book called The Steel Kiss a few years ago, and it was about products liability. And as, a, and as an attorney many years ago, I practiced some products liability. And uh, so I could, I was fairly informed on the topic. I had to do a lot of research on it, of course. But generally, I'm pretty distant from the topic that I write about and from the characters in my books. I liken myself to the airline pilot who is utterly dispassionate. He or she looks ahead and sees, okay, we're flying into a thunderstorm and thinks, okay, 
the plane is structurally sound. I've flown through thunderstorms before. It doesn't mean anything. <laughs> or she's a beautiful sunset and, and said, okay, sunset. Yeah, it's pretty. I'm busy flying the airplane. I don't really care about that. Mm. Um, but so, so my job is to get the passengers safely on their way. That is my readers and give them the best experience they can have. And that, that involves me stepping back and unemotionally looking at uh, scenarios that I think will scare the hell out of them or make them smile or make them breathe a sigh of relief. And I have no real emotional juice in the game there. Mm. My emotional juice is writing a passage that I, I think will make them happy, even if to me it doesn't, it doesn't sing particularly. You know, there's some great writers like um, uh, Gabriel Garcia Marquez, who wrote Love in the Time of Cholera, or Annie Prue, who wrote The Shipping News, uh, Cormac McCarthy. These are great stylists, and I love reading their books, not only for the story, but for the way they put words together. And I, uh, I, I, I don't have their kind of talent, but occasionally I can make a paragraph sing. And I look at it, and I think, and I kind of get a shiver down my back and say, well, I created that. That's, that's really pretty. And then I think, no, it's got to come out because it's, it's jarring to the reader. It's not the appropriate place for that. Hmm. Uh, the books are action adventure books. And I think, no, this is going to be a speed bump for the reader. And so I, I recast it in a tone that's more consistent with the book because, you know, frankly, it's, it's all about them. Yeah. Yeah. That's a good point. You know, and I think going, maybe going back all the way back to your experience in journalism, and I've talked uh, about this with quite a few rather successful authors, just about kind of the iceberg method or, you know, kind of going back to Hemingway's tenets of, you know, what he learned from journalism early on and, and maybe also your background in, in poetry and balancing the two so that you're not, as you said, you know, we go back to the kind of that saying, good writing is damn hard. Sorry, good. <laughs> what is the phrase? Good. Well, <laughs> yeah, yeah. well, the, the phrase is, of course, came from the great astute uh, literary uh, uh, critic and uh, genius Snoopy in, in, in <laughs> who said, uh, who, uh, and I'll give you the whole bit. I think your readers will find it kind of, uh, listeners will find it kind of, kind of uh, amusing. Right. And uh, so here, Snoopy is sitting on a, uh, uh, on his uh, doghouse with a typewriter, and he, he's typing this, and he says, "It, mm. it was, mm. it was a, mm. it was a dark, um, 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 it was a dark, mm. oh, it was a dark and stormy night." And then we we pan to him, and he says, "Oh, good writing is hard work." <laughs> there you go. <laughs> exactly. Um, it's well, damn, I, damn hard. Damn hard, yeah. I think I think yeah. peanut, uh, peanuts wouldn't have damn, but it is damn hard work. I'll tell you that right now. Yeah. Um, I'll back up a little bit and tell you how I approach a book, and it's yeah. kind of enlightening because it's it's always it's a question of form and style. But we get to the style a little bit later. I outline the world is divided into two types of authors: the plotters and the pantsers. Plotters who plot and outline their book; the pantsers who go by the seat of their pants. Now, writing is very subjective, and it is damn hard work. And so, whatever is um, your technique, if it allows you to produce what you want to produce, God bless you, follow that. I, however, believe that it is easier to write a book and to write a good book if you outline everything before you start writing. Joyce Carol Oates said, you can't write your first sentence until you know what your last sentence is. 
Um, and I, I feel exactly the same way. Now, I am an extreme outliner. I don't know anybody who outlines to the extent I do, and nobody needs to outline to the extent I do. Um, my outlines, well, The Goodbye Man, for instance, was 140 pages long. Now, in fairness, it's, that's a, a narrow margin because I jot notes in the, right, the blank right margin. Uh, so let's say it's 80 pages long, 70 or 80 pages long. It, it, I spend months, six, seven months working on the outline and doing the research at the same time. And uh, it starts with post-it notes on, a, on my wall, then it moves to the computer, and I shift things around and think about it day and night until I have the story completely choreographed. Hmm. Um, and only then do I start to write. And, uh, I, and I, have the, I put the outline in front of me, my research notes in front of me, and those margin notes I mentioned in the outline, those are references to the research. So if Coulter Shaw is um, a scene in the, um, the Goodbye Man where he gets into this organization and has no weapons uh, with him. He has to make a weapon. And um, that was what the outline passage said. You know, it's like scene, I'm making this up, but scene 27, and then it would say, Coulter Shaw makes a weapon. Well, then I research, um, I looked at my research uh, note in the margin, it says research, page 312, I look at that, and it shows how he makes a war club, how one can make a war club, and that I, I put that research in. So anyway, it's, it's all very organized, and um, but then I write the book itself, it takes me about two months, and that's where the, you know, the poetry comes in, and I, I shouldn't, uh, you know, I shouldn't disparage style by any means. I work very hard to make the words sound good together, and in fact, when I finish the first draft, I play it back to myself on one of these programs that reads prose. Hmm. It's called Natural Reader. And oh, I would cool. recommend to every writer to either use uh, this program or uh, it wasn't expensive. I bought the premium one. It wasn't that expensive. But there are many others. I, uh, I think even Microsoft Word has a way to do that. Mm -hmm. And you will, first of all, you'll find typos that you, you never knew before. And you'll also see that sometimes the words don't go together felicitously. Uh, sometimes they sound clunky. Sometimes it'll be a speed bump for the reader and you go back and just rewrite it, have the manuscript in paper open in front of you and then listen to your book and pause it when something doesn't sound right. And uh, you might even see that I introduced this character of, you know, three paragraphs too soon. I want to move it back a little bit. So, uh, so that's where the lyricism of words come about. You mm -hmm. know, uh, originally people could, couldn't read. Originally, illiteracy was the rule of the day, and so they got their entertainment by listening. You know, epic poetry, uh, Shakespeare's plays, well, any plays for that matter, the Greek drama, and the way the words went together could make or break a play. Look at what Shakespeare did with iambic pentameter, oh, if that was his meter of choice, I believe it was, um, and uh, just the way he, he, he put those, uh, the syllables together, it, it made a richer experience. Well, um, as you kind of had mentioned in our introduction that you, you teach this, this method of writing. So yeah, talk uh, just kind of, I mean, it's a, it's a fascinating process. And obviously, as you said, it's, it's uh, different for every writer, but yeah, how, how do you teach, you know, how do you teach the, uh, structure of kind of the commercial fiction writing and, and, how does that play into 
you know, kind of your own uh, understanding of story and storytelling, because, you know, I know, I know you've discussed <laughs> most recently kind of your, your theories of uh, that. And you mentioned earlier kind of um, the culture shock character embodying one of those kind of story uh, structures or archetypes. Talk a little mm-hmm. bit about that and, and how you teach that. Sure. Uh, it, it's, it's about a four-hour course, but I'll boil it down very quickly. <laughs> and what it, what it comes down to is, is this. A work of fiction uh, should be as intensely emotionally engaging as it can be. And, you know, I'm talking about commercial fiction now, but uh, I, I'm going to say I think this should apply to any work of fiction, uh, short story or, um, or novel. And what I'm going to say now applies a little more to novels, uh, but it, it boiled down in a briefer form. It could apply to a short, short story, too. So here's the thing. An author's job is to tell the most emotionally engaging story he or she can. Well, what's the next step? What is a story? Uh, okay, here's what a story should be. A story is a, an account um, of living, breathing uh, characters both good characters and bad characters, who are confronted frequently with questions and conflicts that escalate in intensity throughout the book until at the end all of those questions are answered and all of those conflicts are resolved. And and the resolution has to be satisfying to the reader. Now, it doesn't have to be a happy ending. I like happy endings. I'm never going to kill off a main character. <laughs> I'm on the record of saying that because I want readers to close the book and, and smile. Now, now, I'm not going to say I'm not going to kill off their best friends. That could happen because we mm. need suspense. But if you don't have that uh, level of question raising and conflict, uh, people are going to lose interest. And you, you have to drive them through the book. So every, I was going to say every chapter, but frankly, even several times a chapter, I raise questions about what is going to happen next. That's what fiction should all be about. And um, I, in, in my books, I, when I do the outline, I say, question here. Okay, that's good. A conflict. A conflict. It could be very, very simple. It could be uh, Coulter Shaw is about to break into uh, a house to get a clue. And what does he learn? No, they changed the locks. The key that he stole isn't going to work. Well, that's a conflict. He has to get around it. But what, then we cut away from that scene, so reader, the readers keep going to find out what's going to happen. The next chapter, somebody else will have a conflict. Uh, I, I was on a, a, a radio interview once, and the interviewer didn't... I, I got the feeling he didn't really care for my kind of this roller coaster fiction. I think he liked mm-hmm. you know, more leisurely literary crime novels, which you know very stylish and the, all character-based. And so, but he said, and it sounded a little aggressive, frankly, he said, well, okay, Mr. Deaver, then what do you say to the charge that, uh, you are, um, you manipulate your readers. And I, I usually don't think real <laughs> quick, I don't think very quickly, but then yeah. I did, I did have a, a good repost and, and I said, well, what do I say? I say, thank you. Yeah. That's awesome. Because I do. That's my job. You know, we get on a roller coaster. We want to be manipulated. <laughs> so anyway, if, if yeah. you're, you're, any of your listeners are, are thinking about uh, writing, writing something, just remember that we need questions and conflict to drive the story along. But always answer those questions. There should be no ambiguous ending, no loose ends. Yeah. 
Love that. That's a great mini course that I think listeners are going to take quite a bit away from. And um, yeah, how often do, do you do the uh, the teaching? Yeah, it's it's not through a university. It's usually through a um, an organization of some kind, a mm-hmm. literary writers organization, a convention, writers convention. Uh, yeah. It's uh, under the circumstances we I guess we don't know when things are going to get back to normal. So I'm sure. I'm exploring creating a video version of the course, and it's uh, it it, it I, I don't charge a lot. I, I, I sometimes I do it gratis, but I uh, you know writing's my my business. So uh, there would be a, a charge for it, uh, but uh, you know nothing untenable. So, uh, but it's it's hard to put together. Do you do video as well in your work? You know, I, I've avoided video. I have a face for radio. No, I'm just kidding. Um, <laughs> but uh, really, um, it, it's a whole, it's another level and layer of complexity. I think there's something, and I'll go back to. Um, something about the confessional nature of chatting with authors just just in the audio piece um you know and there's a warmth to the human voice and and you know every voice has a kind of a unique cast and timbre and uh yeah yeah, yeah I, I uh i i um I, i'm an addict to uh podcasts a big npr fan uh and, oh, well all, yeah. all you know of course all all different networks and uh, stations and so forth. And um, as I, uh, I've gotten older, um, I'm 70, and uh, you know the eyes aren't what they used to be. And I uh, have, um, uh, you know, I, I read what I write all day long. I, I mean, I'll write for eight hours a day, and mm. so, and I have to see the screen. Uh, so I, you know, at the end of the day, I listen to, to much more than I, I read. I uh, cool. know, listen to uh, New Yorker podcasts, New York Times has some wonderful podcasts and videos and things like that. Mm-hmm. And so uh, that's been a big, uh, a big thing for me. Uh, but the video, I'm looking into doing this now, and it's, it's a lot of work. And uh, I, but I, I want to get it done. There's a big demand for uh, 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 to get it out there from uh, you know potential writers and students, the one who heard about it and seen parts of it in either uh, online or at the events I do. So I'll, I'll put it together at some point. So, and your, you know, your listeners want, they can just check back with jeffreydeaver.com or Instagram or Facebook and we'll see what happens. Awesome. Yeah. Well, I will definitely link to um, jeffreydeaver.com and you can go over there and find um, all of the books, of course, uh, events, news. There's a, um, some live virtual events that you're doing, which is a cool idea. Um, in this very interesting time in publishing, because obviously there are challenges to, uh, as you mentioned, kind of the book tour <laughs> has become something completely different, yeah. right? Yeah. Yep. I was, uh, I had, I was going all throughout Europe and, uh, the, uh, British, uh, Isles and of course the U S and that's, uh, you know, that's all gone now. So, jeez. Well, um, yeah, we'll just mention jeffreydeaver.com before we wrap with, uh, kind of your condensed advice to, scribes on how to keep going uh, the book of course is a follow-up to last year's huge hit the never game um the goodbye man is uh out now and uh i will link to that of course and um publishers weekly called it an outstanding sequel um Deaver balances suspense and plausibility perfectly hey well done there <laughs> mr Deaver. Jeff. Thank you. Yes, <laughs> <laughs> sir. Um, but yeah, well, I'll link to the book, of course, and you can find 
Um, all of those over at jeffreydrew.com uh, will connect with you out there in the in the uh, virtual ether. But uh, wishing you best of luck with that. And then, um, yeah, if you want to just uh, wrap here, I know you got to go, but um, yeah, just your advice to fellow scribes on, sure. on how to keep it. You're- I, I mean, I mentioned the uh, moving things uh, along quickly, you know, raise questions all the time. Well, now what I'm going to do is that's just one small portion of my uh, my uh, lecture, uh, vital. You know, it's the key to, to a good book. But what I'm going to do now is give you the uh, five points uh, synopsis of the entire course. And frankly, I'll be honest, because I'm a teacher this way. If anybody's listening, grab a pen, pen or pencil and write this down because it's important. Okay, so yeah. rule one, write what you enjoy reading. Don't write about boy wizards and vampires if you're that, it's not what you read. Write, write the kind of book you enjoy reading. Number two, I already mentioned this, plan everything out ahead of time. Uh, you don't have to do an extensive outline, but before you start writing the prose, know where you're going to go and have the general thrust of the book on a piece of paper or up on your wall in front of you. Rule number three, rewrite, 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 and rewrite. I could do this a hundred times. Uh, Hemingway said there are no great writers, there are only great rewriters, and that's true. You need to polish. Number four, take your time. Don't rush either in writing the book or trying to place the book. Uh, You're going to be eager to get it into the hand of an agent, which you will need in this climate. Uh, You certainly can self-publish, nothing wrong with it, but that's not your primary goal. Your primary goal is to get published traditionally. Uh, so take your time crafting the book. Do uh, I do 50 rewrites uh, before it's wow. ready, to, ready to go. And then, so take your time writing the book. And then when it comes to publishing it, uh, take your time placing it. Don't uh, get discouraged. Uh, this leads us to rule number five. Rejection is just a speed bump. It's not a brick wall. Keep at it. And don't settle after 20 uh, rejections. Don't settle for publishing it yourself. Uh, just keep trying. And that, in a nutshell, is uh, Jeffrey Deaver on the uh, on breaking into the publishing industry. Yeah, that's great. All right. Well, of course, we will look for that um, video course because it sounds vital, um, especially right now uh, when we have the, the time and the bandwidth to um, spend some time with Mr. Deaver. Mr. Deaver out. We appreciate you so much um, and your work and congrats on all of your successes. Uh, hopefully you'll come back and drop some more wisdom on us uh, when, whenever you want to. I would love to. Having another Lincoln Ryan book will be out next year. And I've uh, got a, uh, a third Coulter Shaw book that I'm working on right now that I'm going to try to squeak out a little sooner than it normally would come out. So uh, stay tuned. That's all I can say. Well, we appreciate you, sir. And uh, stay safe out there. All right, you take care of yourself. Really good talking to you. Thanks so much for joining us for this file. And if you're a fan of the show, simply head over to writerfiles.fm for more. That's writerfiles.fm. <laughs>